Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios at Milson's Point in Sydney. You are listening to the all-new BIP Show, Season 5, Episode 7. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that all financial information in this podcast is general in nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs. Speaking of which, I am James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. Uh, Paul Colgan is still stuck in Davos. He's waiting for his luggage to arrive, I believe. This episode is being recorded in Milsons Point on the 19th of August. It is about 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, now, as as part, sort of changing it up a little bit, so uh, so the guest will be joining us later on um, from Brookside Energy. We're going to talk about energy and oil markets, which is great, not a, not a sponsor of the show, and open an honest conversation with, um, with the managing director of Brookside about exactly what's going on in the energy space over in Oklahoma and actually how bad labour shortages are there and how bad the the, uh, the shale space, or how good the shale space actually is. So stay tuned for that. For now, I thought that I'd just give a bit of a market overview. And for that, I've been joined by a good friend of mine here and also our Director of Strategy at VFS Group, Jack Cousy. Jack, how are you now? I'm good. It's an honour to be on. I've been <laughs> waiting for this. You've been knocking on the door I for think years. I've been waiting for this slot for two and a half years. Yeah. I mean, I am very honoured, no, but thanks for having me on. And hello to everybody out there. Happy safe. Doing well. Mate, yeah. it's it's been uh, it's been a hilarious couple of weeks on the markets. Um, we may have we may have commenced what is the next leg up of what will be an even more hated rally than the last one. Yeah. Or are we sitting in a the bear market rally and everyone thinks that more downside is ahead of us after yeah. a twenty percent bounce? We've got massive. What are you? What are your thoughts locally on that? I mean, I said to you this morning. I think it looks a little bit tired mm. uh, after the big rally that we've had. Mm. Uh, but who knows? I mean, like you said, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines, yeah, uh, waiting to get some type of return. Uh, even though with interest rates, sorry about that noise, guys. Yeah, in the midst of construction here, um, even with interest rates rising, you know, yields uh, and returns are still the name of the game, and we could see a push up. I still expect. A nice little decent rally into Christmas, but we could return to some bumpiness over the last in the, in the next couple of months. Yeah, we, we. I think that probably a couple of extra percent in cash would not be such a bad idea. The fact that we've had a, an amazing July um, and that rally was significant yeah. was Nasdaq was up about twelve percent. Yeah, that was an amazing July. Historically, um, we have weak August. I do apologise for that noise, guys. We're going to get through it if we as best we can. Don't worry about it. Um, I'll try and my, my voice will drown out the sound of drilling from upstairs. Um, but it's good for cons- at least the construction industry is showing it's got some support here in yep. Australia, which is great. Um, traditionally, August and September are a little bit off in midterm years for the S&P 500. And then September, October and November are always really, really bullish in mm. midterm years. So coming off the back of such a strong July, um, I would not be surprised to see maybe things start to return to their means. 
When are the midterms exactly? November. It's the same. November. They're on the same sort of election cycle. So the two. It's going to be a cracker of a midterm, I'll tell you that. He's going to get demolished. I think yeah. the Democrats will get absolutely demolished. I mean, I was listening to Liz Cheney. I know she's a Republican, but she got absolutely smashed by a yeah, know, she's Republican lost, she's Trump candidate. Yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, now, I'm looking at the fund manager survey here as well. Um, just as fresh on my mind. So this is from Bank of America. They're seeing that there is a little bit more cash has been deployed into the market. They were currently sitting up around that 6 a 6% level. Usually 5% or over is a bullish signal for them, a contrary bullish signal showing that they've sort of reached that maximum fear area and there's enough cash that can go into the market. So it's good to see that cash has actually come down from that 6% level into about a high fives level, I believe. It's there. I didn't actually write that down before sitting down. Um, what they say in the in the survey is that sentiment is still bearish, but not apocalyptically so. I managed to get that first time, apocalyptically. Um, the bull and bear indicator is showing its max bearish, so fundies see no immediate reversal of the bear rally. And this is the key quote. We remain patient bears. Would fade SPX over 43.28 as rates up and profits down is our base case. US, the US dollar is still seen as the most crowded trade, um, and we're looking at the usual overweights that you would see in this sort of market. No surprises here. The biggest overweight position for fund managers is cash. Healthcare follows in second, and then it's daylight, and then commodities in third too. Um, I've speculated and did speculate that if you wanted to take the contrary trade and, and go against the US dollar, if you think that maybe the Fed expectations are, are done, overcooked, or at least cooked to a level that you are happy to, to start consuming it, and that other countries have to start raising their rates, especially if yeah. Europe is maybe moving into a, a, raise, a rate rising cycle as they are. Um, and don't forget the DXY is 60% against the euro. So maybe if you want to take a contrary position, going short the US dollar may not be for everyone, but if you want to go long commodities, mm. that may be the best way of benefiting from a, a weaker US dollar. And don't yeah. forget, so commodities do well and emerging markets do well in a, in a weakening US dollar situation as well. Yeah. So there's two trades that could be on there. Um, I'm not in any way suggesting go long, uh, going long emerging markets at this particular point. But I think that the other big one, the other big kicker that's here is that value for the first time, the net percentage of people who think that value will outperform growth, Jack. What have you got here in front of us? Oh, I can't see that. Here, but I saw that when you yeah. sent it around to me. The first time since August 2020. Good old growth. They're back. The growth The growth is now seen as being the performing, uh, as, as outperforming. I mean, if value. you've got long-term trends over the last 15 years, it's always been growth. It's good to see. As, as, as a growth investor myself who's been, you know, been hitting the walls in the last couple of months <laughs> in the last really year, why? it's good to see everybody's going back to growth. I think it's got to be the right areas of growth also. Yeah. I think, um, you know, companies with, you know, no cash or high price to sales multiples. I still think they're not going to be in vogue. Um, but your quality companies, your quality growth companies, yep. I still love big tech. You know that. Um, yep. You know, I, I, I think it's a place to be. Yeah. If we look through look through the top five, and anyone who wants to do a cheat sheet, if you want to keep it simple, have a look at a quality ETF. So QHAL is one that, that we have on the books here. Um, so I know it quite well, so I can talk of that. But that's a good quality ETF. Yep. Have a look at the top holdings in that in that company. You've got Apple. You've got uh, Microsoft, NVIDIA, United Health, Johnson & Johnson, those sorts of names. That's quality big names. Yeah. The, the, the tech that's in there is quality tech. Yeah. Do not get distracted by Bed Bath & Beyond no, or the yeah. meme stocking. Again, you will get rug pulled on this one. Now, I mentioned emerging markets, Jack. You're the China expert. 
What's the latest on the China? Uh, yeah, a couple of big news pieces out of China in the last week. So um, a few things. On Friday, we saw five companies looking to delist uh, from US exchanges. Yeah. Um, what's interesting to know is five of those companies were state-owned enterprises. And I think this actually opens the door for a possible avoidance of some of these big stocks in uh, US, like Barber being delisted off US exchanges. So just an interesting point for everybody out there. There are 273 Chinese companies listed in the US. Right. Seven of them are state-owned enterprises. I did not know that. Yeah. So the Chinese have always maintained that they've got no problems with their tech firms, you know, like Barber, like Lufax. Um, and others being subjected to new auditing reports that the U.S. want. But they've always maintained that state-owned enterprises have sensitive national information um, and, you know, they don't obviously want to comply with those audit reports. So these five looking for delisting, there's only two more. So, yeah, that's seven seven included the five. Yeah, Yeah, seven included the five. So we could see, you know, maybe this delisting threat that's happening at the moment start to abate. Uh, So I thought that was an interesting point coming out. Okay. Uh, the other one that came out of China is a couple of days ago, their largest firm, uh, Tencent, reported. Yeah. Uh, it was their first revenue decline in the quarter ever. 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 Uh, and was, then, what was incremental? In, was in, I've got the why? figures. In <laughs> well, they've been hit hard by tech regulations. You've also got you know a Chinese kind of economy that's going into COVID lockdowns and out of COVID lockdowns and into COVID lockdowns, and that's hurting the consumer. Yeah. Um, you know, gaming revenue was down, which is about a third of their revenue in total. Yeah. Uh, because of the new laws limiting gaming, um, and they've also been limited from acquiring new licenses on games within China. So yeah. I thought that was a big piece of information. They did guide up. Okay. They thought the outlook was getting better. Yeah. Um, they felt uh, in the um, conference they said, you know, we don't think there's any more overarching big tech regulation that's going to happen that's going to affect us. Uh, so that was a big piece of news that came out. And the other piece of news that came out from Tencent was there was a rumour they were going to divest their $24 billion stake in a company called Meituan, yeah. uh, which is their big, big food delivery company. And this is part of this whole overarching tech regulation with China where uh, regulators there don't want guys like Tencent and Barber owning pretty much a majority stake in a lot of their companies. Okay. You know, we're talking about the bigger tech companies there. So um, Tencent divested from JD.com, which is their second largest e-commerce player, yeah. uh, late last year. So, you know, I thought that was a pretty big, interesting piece of news that that continues to go on in China and they're trying to limit this market concentration of their tech companies. Now, their belief is that this will benefit innovation in the long term. Yeah. Um, but they were the, you know, three big pieces of news. And that sent Meituan, which is their fourth largest tech company, massive company for those, for those of you who haven't heard of it, um, you know, do food delivery, ride sharing. Um, they also integrate on the um, merchant side, right, kind of like a square but without the payment sector. Okay. Um, and they were down 9%. So I think the big one to take out is these SLEs, they're listing. Yeah. Um, so it's so one to watch. Are they just switching straight off from NYSE? Yeah, so they'll make their primary listings. A lot of them are already dual listed, yeah. right? So it's not a massive issue, but they'll delist, make their primary listing either in Hong Kong or a local exchange, maybe the star market um, within China. But you're actually seeing starting a wave of that. So just to say that two days later, a company called Lufax said they're going to make their primary listing in Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Uh, yeah. So I, I still quietly know... I, we exited that position for my clients a while ago, but I, I, I do exit. like <laughs> I do like the Hong Kong exchange yeah. um, as as a buy. 
And I exited this thing so long ago, I can't even remember what the stock code is. 1313. Yeah, I think it is yeah. Well, there's so, a new wave of IPOs coming through Hong Kong, and a lot of Chinese yeah. companies still want to list. Yeah. And, you know, previously they wanted to list in the US to access US funds. That's not necessarily something they need to have anymore. I mean, there's plenty of money floating around Asia. And there's plenty of, uh, you know, northbound and southbound connecting to Hong Kong, which is, you know, a lot of fun. So they can raise that money if they want to. All right, good. Well, I think that the US market has shown enough stability to be able to hold off. I'd be a buyer of any big dips if you could find them. And the China, what's where, where are you? Where are you putting it in China? Well, I still believe in Chinese tech. I, I, you know, I know it's gone through a very tough period. I mean something like 10 cents off 60% off the tie. So if you've been invested in it, and I have, it's been a very rough period for the last 18 to 24 months. I, I still believe when you look at Chinese tech and you compare their revenue and their multiples to US tech, they look cheap. Um, you just got to write it out. And I think the last 18 to 24 months have been very tough, but I, I'm i firm believer that we're at the end of regulation within China. I believe so. Um, and this should start to see some growth for some of these companies. I'll highlight one more and I'll stop there. Their second largest gaming player, uh, NetEase, reported last night and they beat on all three of the top lines. So, you know, there are pockets of, of, of signs of life there. Um, I still like something like the K-Web. Yeah, it's uh, the, the K-Web is the ETF listed over in the States. US, yeah, That's which China will give you... Tech, yeah. yeah the one and, that I prefer is CNEW. And the great thing about the K-Web, I'll say, is most of their holdings are listed in Hong Kong. So if you do get this wave of delistings... It will affect the short-term volatility of the price. There's no doubt about it, but, you know, they don't have to deal with a delisting issue of taking those shares and transferring them over. So yeah. that's the one I favour out of all of them. And, of course, this is not advice. This is just this our information. This is general advice. If you it's don't understand, general advice only. General advice only. Be careful. can be very risky investing in China as it's shown in the last few years. I was extraordinarily blunt last week, which is if you don't understand what general advice is, maybe you should just switch off the podcast now. Well, that's <laughs> Okay. But, but, there, but there you go. If, if anyone does want any more information about this or anything more, um, feel free to reach out to me or to Jack as well. He's got a pretty significant uh, online presence on, I believe you're big on the Instagram. I am on the gram and the YouTube and I mean... I wouldn't say it's big, but we try our best. It's getting, it's getting a bit bigger. And just amazingly, that it looks like the noise has stopped upstairs for for, uh, for morning tea. So thanks, boys, for all your help upstairs. Good anyway. Thanks, Jack, guys. thank you very much for joining thanks us. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure and hope everybody's great out there. Good. Cheers. All right. Now we're going to keep on going with the podcast. And as part of the reshaping of the show, oh, first and foremost, to it's uh, currently 9.41 a.m. on the 19th of August 2020. Um, just sort of moving through bits and pieces. The... I do apologise for a significant amount of building noise that's coming through here. So my my voice my voice will be trying to drown out the building noise that's there in the background. There's nothing I can do. I do want to get a show. I wanted to get a show out today. So there you go. As part of the reshaping of the show, speaking of which, I'm arranging to have not only more fund managers on, but also to talk directly to more companies. Uh, and here's one that, full disclosure, I hold myself, uh, the company that I hold. My clients do hold this company. And it's Brookside, Brookside Energy. I thought, why don't I have a conversation about oil and gas? Want to have a conversation about energy? Um, occasionally, I like to reach out to uh, to the MD of this company and talk about oil and gas and energy and generally what's going on in the world. Very important uh, feature in the commodity space at the moment, especially with everything that's going on. And I will just get a little finger on the pulse of what's going on uh, now. Brookside Energy, a little shale play drilling in at the Anadarko Basin, which is the heavyweight of, uh, I believe, the heavyweight of the oil and gas industry. Whatever it is you want to say, I'm sure that David will be able to help us out. I'm fortunate enough to, to, to be able to know the managing director of this company, David Prentice. More than 25 years' experience in the commercial management and business development within the natural resources sector. 
Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty funny guy and he's, uh, he's also extraordinarily smart in the space today. Joining us from Oklahoma, David. I believe it's Oklahoma. David, how are you now? G'day, James. Yes, joining you from, uh, from sunny Tulsa. Um, <laughs> 85 degrees outside uh, here in the, uh, in the evening and be- a beautiful day here today. Oh, sensational. I think that we're, our, our weather patterns are sort of matching from this side to that side as we get into the shoulder season. So we've got a, a little little bit of warmth coming through here. Now, we might want to get into the climate situation, how the world is getting a little bit hotter and and maybe sort of how... No, no, we won't skip that. Don't worry about it. So we've got too, too much to talk about later. Um, now, we want to make it real quick and sort of get into it um, as much as we can. Keep in mind too, folks, that Brookside are not a sponsor of the show. Um, this is simply me with an investment manager hat on being able to talk to someone who runs a uh, an oil producer, oil and gas producer, so it's pretty good. It does mean that, you know, no punches can be pulled on this one. And as uh, as an advisor on this stock and, and, and someone who owns it as well, David, I'm going to skip the usual question of what do you do and how do you make money because we already sort of know that. But, mate, the share price, first and foremost, what's going on there? Yeah, look, there's a, there's a, a you know, a disconnect disconnect between what we've achieved, uh, you know, over the last 12 months in terms of, uh, you know, the success that we've achieved in drilling our first three wells and a massive disconnect between, you know, the cash flows and the fundamentals of the of what we've achieved and, and where the, the stock price is currently trading. I think that's, you know, a function of, Flows in the in the market rather than 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 necessarily sort of investor sentiment. I think you know the small cap sector in Australia, particularly James, you'll know more about this than I do. But you know the the, the money flows in and out of particular sectors, if you like, and and uh, you know we've seen our share price kind of underperform. I think because the volumes have have uh, you know have slipped away in terms of you know how much how much we trade on a daily basis, and so. That's frustrating, um, and we need to work harder to close that gap. Um, and I think, with such a large retail shareholder base, you know, I need to do more work, and, and I guess us as a company and management team need to do more work in moving forward, trying to bring our retail shareholders along with us on the journey, and explaining and educating them in terms of you know what we do, where the value is, and what the future looks like, and. Um, so, you know, we've got some work to do there and, and I guess looking forward to getting cracking on that. So that would be my take on, on the share price. Okay, well that's, that's, that's good. I don't like to harp on about share prices because it's often that, that if you have a good company that's, that's making money, that has, you know, that, that, that has cash in the bank, that should really speak for itself. And, and related to the share price, I mean, could be, it could be higher, but uh, let's not harp on that um, because some things you just can't change. That's unfortunate. So uh, now... Let's go big picture, having a look at this first. Everyone is talking about how underinvested the oil and gas market is at the moment. How Can you give us something on the ground of exactly how how bad or is that overdone or how good or, or, or what's the actual smell over in that part of the world, which is now so important to being able to provide for a, a, a pretty underfunded and pretty overburdened energy market? Yeah, look, you know, it's very, very clear that that the, the you know the last ten years at least of underinvestment in in the space, and particularly in the you know in the E part of the E and P business, so the exploration part of the business is is really what's um, you know what's really shining through now. And so, you know, I read somewhere today that you know we're really in that part of the cycle where companies are, are really showing that 
capital discipline. And so we're really looking at, you know, harvesting um, essentially known known reserves and not not investing the capital that needs to be invested to discover new reserves. So, you know, w- w- that's, you know, why I'm so bullish on the sector is that, you know, outside of the, you know, what the demand picture looks like going forward, the supply side is where I think uh, the pinch point's coming and you've got, you know, politically around the globe, you've got, you know, a big push from the politicians for uh, the large producers and and even more recently, you know, looking at, uh, you know, at the Saudis, you know, that this sort of kind of pressure to to essentially increase production and, and, and help to lower prices and, and it's just not happening. You know, people are people are either unable to to increase production, or they're reluctant to do that because you know they're conserving capital and uh, and and showing that discipline and returning returning capital to shareholders. So, in in my view, that's going to have the effect of keeping supply tight and prices higher for you know higher for longer. So that's the theme that we we're certainly seeing uh, here in in uh, on the ground in Oklahoma and around the world generally. Yeah. Now, do you think that politically the tide has turned, at least for a temporary... I mean, we've seen what's happened in Europe and we've seen that their dependence on one country's gas has, has led to a pretty critical situation over there. Do you, do you think that politically it's going to be less on the nose to be supportive of oil producers or, or, of, or of actually powering, powering industry via alternate sources and not depending on just one or two things? I think that's right. I think, you know, people are going to, you know, you get through another northern hemisphere winter and and you know there, there's going to be a big scramble on here i think for the europeans to try and work out what they do to you know um you know with russia and how that's all going to how that, that's all going to play out and people have worked out that you know that that, that our industry does f- um fulfill a vital role in terms of you know <laughs> um pr- providing that energy security and so you know i think i think the tide is starting to turn there and 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 we as an industry should you know could do more in terms of educating people about you know the, the the things we're doing to to be more efficient and have less impact on the environment and um and all of those things combined together i think will you know help to to shift sentiment around the sector generally yeah, now the, the fracking is has been a, a dirty word for such a long time. You know, no no punches pulled here. But uh, do you think it's misunder like the fracking industry is is maybe a little bit misunderstood in Australia? Oh, for sure. Look, you know, <laughs> you know, I was I was just having a look today at um you know at the history of fracking, if you like, and and you know, interestingly enough, you know, the first commercial. Um, application of hydraulic stimulation, which is the kind of the, um, I guess the, uh, the polite way of describing fracking, um, it, it was was actually done in in March of 1949 in in a in a town called Duncan in Oklahoma, which, as it happens, is about 20 miles west of our range as well. So, you know, you know, there's more than more than 70 years of 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 the successful application and the improvement of the of the techniques that's been going on here in 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 the US for that period of time without any issues in in terms of environmental impact and uh, and it's really been a cornerstone of how we're able to um, to to produce these wells and get such 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 good productivity out of them so you know, we don't, as an industry, we don't see it as a, at all as a, as a, as a dirty word. It's a, it's it's part and parcel of what we do, and has been for, as I say, for you know, for for almost a hundred years. So, um, 
again, it's a, it's a, it's an education process, something we need to talk about uh, more openly and, 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 uh, and just make people aware of, uh, you know, of uh, the benefits and, and, and how we manage the risks. I think also myself sort of talking as someone who's done a lot of work in the ESG space that, that having a huge dependence or sorry, being able to just blackball things like that has actually been integral to or instrumental to why we're at the situation that we're in now and with such an energy an energy shortage and also with uh, with this crisis that's going on in Europe and also you know warnings warnings of a crisis being here because of uh, because of gas shortages which is weird that, that that would be a situation asking Queensland residents to to have their lights off after certain hours it's, it seems ridiculous that that's a situation that we're in I think that right now we can't be I don't want to get on my soapbox about it because people hate it when I do that but I I I don't think that right now we can be too picky or choosy about where we get our where we get our stuff from for now as we move into sort of the next bit. Now, David, uh, I, I noticed on your LinkedIn that you'd shared a pretty cool little article here from Richard Spears, uh, his VP of Spears and Associates, and I I had not been following them and well, as closely as I should be, and I'm probably going to remedy that going forward. It was just talking about. Um, the, that there has been a big backlash, especially in the state, or oh, sorry, the Biden administration, um, hanging it on some energy producers for returning cash to shareholders and, and, and paying off debt, as opposed to going into more drilling and going into more exploration. Now, I noticed that you had shared that note. Did you want to go into that and just talk about the details with regards to companies that are surveying, companies that are exploring versus companies that are drilling and, and where, the, where the trend is heading in that direction? Yeah, so Richard was making the point that, he, that, that, that his firm tracks activity, particularly in the service sector of the or service service side of the of the oil and gas sector. So he looks at you know frac spread utilization, you know drilling, how many drilling rigs are operating, how profitable those various businesses are, and and one of the things he was looking at was the, the you know the geophysical services side of the business, and and making the point that you know it's a very good point is that you know in the last last 12 months and in the 12 months before that we've seen record low investment in geophysics which is really at the, at the pointy end of the exploration part of the EMP you know side of things so um, what that's what that's telling him and I agree with him is that that you know people aren't spending on exploration they're 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 spending on on increasing production and then returning the surplus cash flow to to shareholders, which which only means that you know they're not replacing the reserves that or they're not they're not attempting to replace the or doing the work required to replace the reserves that uh, that they need to replace. And that that for me is you know if we needed more evidence of uh, you know of this kind of prices being higher for longer then you know that, that that's just another very important signal to me that uh, you know we're just going to have this tightness in the supply side of the equation for, for, for you know for the foreseeable future yeah and I'll make sure that I post it on the website as well it's a really good one I'm going to reach out to Richard as well and see if he wants to have a chat later on in the year but he does draw the the line with so the, the way that he sort of his barometer is a company called Dawson's uh, I had it here Dawson Geophysical which is the the biggest land geophysical service company and he tracks that for their for their revenues yep. and what is it so Gen- Dawson's when we see Dawson's annual res- revenues return to over two hundred million currently it's about thirty million so it's way down so so that the less money they make the better it is for the oil price theoretically if you want to make that two step jump. 
Yep. Um, so he's saying that when it's when their revenues go back up, it means lots of people are searching for oil. Um, the the geophysical, you know, that they're surveying land, yep. um, and that's uh, that would be the signal that maybe the oil price uh, should be due to come back. Now, price <laughs> supply, as we know, supply is not always uh, leading to price. We see that we still got a supply shock, um, and yet the oil price has not been responding. I mean, I mean. I've, I've often had a bit of a joke. If you want to make God laugh, tell him what your forecast on the oil price is, and, uh, and see how that goes. <laughs> uh, but the, so look, that, that's that. That's that. So he's he's very much a, an oil and gas price bull, based on that really simple way of putting it. I'll put it on the yep. website so you can have a bit of a look. Now, David, um, it would be remiss of me doing anything close to my job if I didn't let you talk about the update for your company. Um, you had a, a recent release, uh, your quarterly, I believe. There's lots of cash in the bank. I don't want to forecast or lead that, but. Anything that you'd uh, any big notes or points going into the last part of the year? Yeah, look, I think that the, the you know the you know probably good to touch on just what we've achieved in the last twelve months, and you know people people tend to you know the, to um, always want to be looking forward. The market always wants to look forward, and we get that. But you know, just in terms of the touching on what we've achieved in the last twelve months in bringing these three massive wells online, what that's done to our what that's done to our cash flow and and. Uh, you know, is all is all important, and and you know we're we're obviously very proud of the work that we've done, and and focusing on that kind of execution uh, part of part of the business. But really, the implications of that are we've now found ourselves with this massive resource um, that we can now move forward and develop, um, and you know this kind of two pronged approach to that work, which is really about developing the resource so looking at you know what is now effectively a proven uh, resource which we now can just go ahead and and, and drill up um, and at the same time looking at ways that we can um, you know potentially fast track that through some sort of you know a and d type activity and that that stuff goes on over here all the time and is very common in the in 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 the Anadarko basin so so that two-pronged approach being alive to those sort of A and D opportunities, and also at the same time getting on with their own drilling is what shareholders can look forward to over the next twelve months. So you know we'll see some, uh, you know, some pretty significant um, growth in you know in our production profile and also the cash flow, but also be on the lookout for you know you know potential um, you know M and A activity that might that might come out of that side of the strategy as well. Ultimately, you know, the story Brookside story is about you know increasing the asset base and 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 you know capital growth is what's going to reward shareholders. So, you know, focusing on that part of the business, trying to uh, trying to increase the scale and size of the asset base, um, and then and then in the short term, um, you know, some really interesting things going on. Obviously, with results coming out of the of uh, the last well we drilled, the Flames well looking looking really really good. Uh, and then, um, you know, I think we're going to have some stuff to say about increasing our footprint um, in, in the Anadarko Basin. And then lastly, uh, on, on our Bradbury Prospect, which is uh, named after the great um, Australian um, speed skater. Our first um, gold medalist in Winter that's Olympics. It. Yeah. Yes. I saw him yeah. speak. He's, he's, he's very, very funny, a very self-aware and very funny guy. I'd recommend <laughs> if, you, if you get a chance to hear Stephen Bradbury speak, please do so. But the Brad, yeah. sorry, the Bradbury, I, I, I jumped in. Yeah, no. So we we've got some exciting stuff going on around, around the Bradbury Prospect as well. And um, in fact, I've a, I've actually spoken to to, to Stephen, and we, when he saw that we'd named the prospect after him, he was delighted, and we exchanged emails. And so, so yeah, there's something something there for the shareholders to look out for in the next uh, 
few weeks or so as well. So um, lots going on and, uh, you know, really um, super excited about the next 12 months and what uh, what uh, we're going to achieve. Outstanding. Uh, operational, uh, so OPEX is a conversation that's come up a lot on Twitter and obviously I'm going to represent, you know, the people on Twitter as much as they love me and, and love what I say all yep. the time. Apparently, uh, the, is, is there an issue with OPEX continue, or outweighing revenues yeah no 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 absolutely look you know we we have never um shied away from that question i mean you, you know when back in 2017 2018 when we first started you know conceived this plan to pick up this acreage in swish you know we we the people forget the oil price was sort of 40 or 50 bucks a barrel and the gas price was uh, was sort of 250 or, or thereabouts so we went into this understanding that that these wells would need to generate fantastic rates of return at those prices for us to be able to justify developing the resource or or commanding a premium for it when we were getting ready to sell it. So, so no, we're not we're not concerned about that. We we certainly don't want to get on a treadmill where we're needing to you know, drill marginal wells to create revenue to fund the next marginal well. You know, that's not our business model and will never be. So these wells are anything but marginal. They're, they're, they're super productive and, you know, we've seen the dual well paid out in six months. Um, you know, the range is on track to pay out in, in sort of less than eight months. And so those kind of um, metrics are going to mean that, you know, cash flow is going to stay well, well ahead of, uh, of any development, ske- uh, development uh, schedule. Okay, well, cheers for that. That's all right. I it could not let the podcast go. I could not let a conversation go without asking about that because people seem to make a bit of a fuss about it on Twitter, and and you know that's that's why you make a market. That's what it does here. Um, David, anything else you'd want to add? Uh, otherwise, I'm going to wrap it up, mate. No, mate. That's been I've been enjoyed talking to you. I've um, had loved loved the probing questions, and uh, <laughs> look 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 forward to doing it again soon. Yeah, mate. No worries at all. Thank you very much. That's the that's the cost of doing business, but it is, has been really good having you on talking about the oil and gas industry, um, and also a little bit about your uh, about your company too, which is which is cool. So, um, yep. Cheers for that. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on iTunes, Bip Show. Uh, and we're also on Twitter at the underscore underscore bip underscore show. Yes, we're on Facebook too for some reason. Not sure why. Um, I've got a website. I'm going to put this. I'm going to put that note from uh, from about Dawson's by Richard Spears on the website as well. And also, I might put David. I'll chuck your quarterly up as well. Your investor presentation too, um, as a special thanks for you to come on uh, for coming on and telling us what it's like on the ground over in Oklahoma um, as well. And I hope you go. I hope you go okay. Uh, yourself, and I look forward to when you get back. We'll uh, we'll get a we'll get a beer in when you get back. Okay. Um, thanks, thanks, James. Sounds great. No, no worries. Thanks for joining us, everyone.